Well, welcome to our second season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're glad to have you back. And if you're a first-time listener, we hope that uh, you enjoy today's podcast and we'll come back with us next week. We have a great list of guests this spring and you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and scrolling down to the podcast section. Well, today I'm excited to have with us Will Healy. Will is currently the head football coach at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, joining the 49ers in 2019, and he's already led UNCC to their first winning season in bowl trip. And then prior to accepting the job at uh, UNCC, Will was asked to turn around one of the most difficult coaching jobs in America at that time, Austin P. And he came in as the second youngest head coach in the country. And in just his second year, they set a school record for wins at seven. And he also had the number one ranked recruiting class in FCS. And at the same time, he was named Ohio Valley Conference Coach of the Year and FCS National Coach of the Year. In his collegiate playing days, Will was quarterback and captain of the 2008 University of Richmond FCS National Championship team. And as a side note, I coached at Richmond for two years a long time ago, and I love that school and I love that campus and the Richmond Spiders. And the, and the Spiders is our great uh, trivia nickname question. So... Um, I had the opportunity to play with Will's dad, uh, Rob, at Georgia Tech for one year, and then I coached him for one year. And I can truly say he was one of the, he was one tough competitive football player. So, Will, before we get into the serious stuff, though, I have to know one thing: Do you cry as much as your dad? I am second to dad. There's no way you can cry as much as, but I, I've still got a little bit of that in me. So. Uh, you know, when you watch people have success and uh, watching Rudy or whatever it may be, uh, you know, I, I still got a little Rob Healy in me. So he definitely passed that trade over. <laughs> well, he's he's the king of that. Uh, well, listen, after your playing career was over at Richmond, what motivated you to get into the coaching profession? Did you did you talk with people ahead of time about the pros and the cons or what was your what was your process you went through? Well, I, I knew that even with, um, you know, a mom and a dad that were incredibly supportive of me, um, I still had coaches that made an unbelievable impact in my life. And I was searching for, you know, something I was passionate about. And really my senior year of college, uh, I, I had an opportunity to, to almost be a coach. I had one class on Monday night. And, uh, so I was able to be up there and just kind of figure out what it was like to, to coach at the college level and fell in love with it. And, um, you know, ended up getting an opportunity to go back to my hometown of Chattanooga and work for my first seven years of, of, uh, of my career and coach uh, for a guy that I played for in Rush Huseman at, at the University of Richmond. And, um, you know, things kind of fell in place. I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. Definitely didn't deserve it, uh, but tried to make the most of it. And uh, it was the impact that coaches had made. It was my passion for wanting to impact others and be a consistent male figure for them. And, uh, and I love the game, you know, and if I wasn't good enough to keep playing it, the, the closest thing I could do was coach it. Well, it's fortunate that, uh, that people like Will Healy get into coaching uh, so they can have that same impact that other coaches had on you. You know, most people, when they when they enter coaching, and particularly at the college level, try to get aligned with some other coaches to kind of serve as, as mentors. Have you identified any um, – early on that you, you know, tried to develop a relationship with? Well, I was fortunate to play for, for Dave Clausen for four years, Mike London for one, and uh, to see the differences in their approach and, and how they coached 
I think was an incredible thing for me to be able to learn and how both can be successful. Uh, got a ton of respect for those two guys and they're, they're both, you know, I can attribute them for, for wanting to get into this profession. Uh, I, I learned a lot from Russ Huseman coaching for him for seven years at, at, uh, at Chattanooga and uh, the ways to develop a program and uh, how to not take shortcuts and, and uh, extremely organized and detailed and, and never wavered uh, with turning around a program and, and developing some consistency. And then as I've gotten into it and have, have had a chance to develop re- relationships with other coaches across the country, uh, Mac Brown has been unbelievable. Dabo Sweeney has been incredible. Uh, Scott Frost has been really good to me. Um, you know, some friends of mine, you know, uh, Skip Holtz has been extremely beneficial and, and been a great mentor. Seth Luttrell is a, is a great friend of mine. So uh, whoever will uh, will take the time, I, I'm I'm willing to listen, and because uh, I got a lot to learn, and and uh, still want to improve, and uh, but those are definitely some of the ones who made the biggest impact. Well, my my guess is if you have not already, you're going to start getting some calls yourself from coaches coming into uh, coaching profession asking for your guidance. You know, you talked about turnaround programs. You've taken two football programs at Austin P and University of North Carolina Charlotte. And um, both of those would be considered turnaround programs. When you know, when you take on a, a task like that, what what are your priorities? What uh, what's your game plan? The biggest thing for me, as still a, a young coach, is taking a job where you can exceed expectations. Um, and and I think that that is the the model of consistency and really being able to keep your job is. Can you take a job where you can exceed expectations? At Austin P, it was hard, but the expectation was so low that you felt really good about, it, you know, it, taking on that responsibility. You had to – they'd gone 0-11. They'd won one game in four years. So you needed to beat that to be a good coach. And and I felt like we could at least do that. Uh, you know, coming here, it was having the first winning season, right? Now it's – uh, coming a little bit of a product of your own expectations. You start off the year, you beat Duke, right? And the expectation changes. So how to keep that, that model of consistency going, I, I think is something that I'm continuing to learn and improve on. But, you know, it's, it's putting the right people around you. Mike London gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten, and that's surround yourself with people who won't let you fail, uh, people who believe in the same things, people who are going to close the door and uh, and and have the same values and beliefs that that I have, uh, because those position coaches are really the ones who have the most impact. Um, you know, so surrounding yourself with the best possible people is the most important thing, and and then making sure that the student athlete experience and the coaching experience is as good as it can possibly be. Never getting tired of fighting for uh, for the best possible experience. So that's kind of what I've tried to, to hit from the beginning to, to get a solid foundation where we can have success. Well, it, uh, it certainly has worked for you. Uh, I know we got a short time here, but can you kind of walk through our listeners, what a, a typical week in the life of a college coach looks like? I know it will vary based on the time of the year, but just kind of give us an overview of kind of how a week works for you. Yeah, so we're uh, Sunday morning, we take off, we come in, you know, 12 or one o'clock, spend some family time, have an opportunity to be able to go to church. Uh, Sometimes we get an opportunity to take the team, sometimes we don't, but uh, Sundays you're in around one, 12 or one, you have a staff meeting at 3.30, you're preparing for the next week. We have family night on Sunday night, so all the kids are 
running around and the wives are here and we get a chance to, to have dinner and, and take a little bit of a break before we move on to the next opponent. Uh, your game planning Sunday night until, you know, 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock sometimes uh, to prepare for a, a Monday meeting with your guys. And uh, we meet every day uh, with our players at 8 a.m. So Monday morning we come in, we watch the film with our players, we make our corrections, uh, and then we game plan the rest of the day until, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. It's the same thing with Tuesday, but it's a practice. Uh, so we'll meet with them at 8 o'clock. You know, we'll be on the practice field around – uh, around 10 o'clock and, and, uh, and then we'll go through, we'll come back, we'll watch the film as a staff, we'll make our corrections, prepare for the next day of practice, script, game plan, continue to watch the opponent's film, uh, and you're in, you know, 10, 1030 uh, on Tuesday night. Wednesday, we come in, we have a full padded practice again. We meet afterwards, we'll have, uh, you know, some recruiting meetings, and then uh, we have date night on Wednesday night. So we take our wives to somewhere different around Charlotte, uh, leave the office around 5, 5.30, and, uh, and, and get a little bit of a break. I think it's right during the middle of the week, so it allows our wives to have something to look forward to. And it's something that our staff has really enjoyed being a part of. Um, you know, and you're in a great city to be able to do that. Uh, Thursday morning is uh, a no-sweat day for us, so we have – uh, longer meetings, and then we'll go out and we'll do a walkthrough. Uh, we'll have academic meetings after that. We'll be gone somewhere around, you know, 12 or 1 o'clock, uh, spend some family time, get to go pick up the kids from school. Um, and then Friday morning we practice. So we'll, we'll have meetings at 8. We'll practice at 9.20. Uh, you're off the field and you're either going recruiting uh, or you're traveling somewhere. Um, so, you know, and then game day Saturday. You know, for, for the most part for us, we'll have meetings on Friday nights. Uh, the chance to continue to game plan, um, and then Saturday is, is game day. So Sunday you wake up, it's Groundhog Day, you start the week all over again. Well, I applaud the, the breaks that you have built into your week. I know when I was coaching college football, I uh, would have really enjoyed having those breaks and the families would have had those breaks. And uh, I think sometimes coaches feel like, uh, you know, they, they're worried about being outworked, but uh, it's also an energy and, and a, a, a freshness uh, variable that comes into play as well. Uh, I do want to ask one question. You, you, like a number of coaches now, are practicing in the mornings instead of the afternoons. What's the logic behind that? Originally, when I was at Austin P, we started in the mornings because of concussions. Um, so there's a lot of research that's done that says that the uh, concussions, the number one cause of concussions is dehydration. And the research shows that you're the most hydrated early in the morning as they, as these guys go to classes all morning and come to practice in the afternoon, they're not as hydrated as they would be uh, early in the day. Um, the other thing about it for me is I know that they're getting to bed at a decent hour. Uh, I don't worry about them going out because I know they got to get up early in the morning. Um, and, and I think the nice thing about going in the morning uh, is that as the week progresses, it seems to kind of calm down a little bit. You know, you got a little bit more time with your family, uh, the haze in the barn, so to speak. So you can, if, if you're efficient with it, you can uh, you can really make sure the back half of your week is not near as stressful. Um, and it's worked out well. You know, I don't like going too early. So 8 a.m. meetings for me are perfect. Uh, so you make sure that your guys aren't, you know, meeting at 6.30 or something and they're not getting enough sleep so that they can recover. Uh, so 8 a.m. has kind of been the sweet spot, and, and I, I think our guys have really liked it. They start classes at 1, 
uh, and they've got you know plenty of opportunities to make sure they're in the right class. And our administration and university has done an amazing job of helping us out with that. You know, I had not heard that about concussions. That, uh, that's, that's interesting. It makes a lot of sense. Um, well, you were the, the second youngest head coach in the country when you accepted that job at Austin P. What are the advantages and the disadvantages of becoming a head coach at such a, a young age? I think the advantages you can relate. Um, so to me, whether it's an interview or whether it's being in an in-home visit w- with recruiting, I think you always have to understand and be aware of um, of your perception, right? And um, I walk into the room and I look like a 12-year-old, right? So the, the, play- <laughs> the, the player's thought is, okay, this is a young guy that I can relate to. He's going to bring a ton of energy. The parent's perception is, how's this 12 year old going to help my son become a grown man? Right. So there's got to be something in that in-home visit or on that official visit that lets the parents understand that it's bigger than a game to me and that I'm going to be able to hold them accountable to help them reach their aspirations. And so there may be some coaching moments on the, uh, on the official visit. It may be, you know, sit up, take your hat off, take your hood off to, you know, get off your phone, whatever it may be, but something that just says, look, I, I, I know what your thought is, but, it's not a show, right? It's not going to all be roses here. It is, I want to help your son get to where he wants to go. And, um, you know, so I, I think that that's kind of what you're fighting from a perception standpoint. Uh, I think that the quality of the experience that I had was really good, but the overall experience, I, I didn't have a ton of it, right? So um, I, I wasn't in a bunch of different programs where I was a GA at Alabama and learned under Nick Saban. I, I you know, I, I had to learn and, and continue to research and, and grow and, and figure out how I wanted to do things and, and really sometimes learn by failure. Um, and I think that what I've also learned in this is that um, it's important to have a good mixture, right? It's important to have some guys that uh, you feel like are the next big thing. And it's also important to have some guys around you who have kind of been through it and, uh, that's what I'm, I'm working on creating right now with our staff. Um, and uh, I, I think it's, it's uh, the mixture is important. Well, coaching is all about teaching uh, and selling. Uh, you're selling in the recruiting and you're teaching once you get them. Uh, and the, the best coaches are the, are, are the best teachers. Um, well, you've, speaking of in-home visits, you've uh, gained quite a reputation as a recruiter at, at every school that you've coached at, both as an assistant and as a head coach. Today, with the crazy world of recruiting, you know, what makes a, a great recruiter now? What are the keys? Relationships to me and consistency, I think, is is the biggest thing. Um, I had an unbelievable opportunity to go talk to John Calipari when I was a head coach at Austin P, and he talked about appeal to aspirations, not egos. And I think that's important, too. What What's my job as a coach? And the true old-school definition of a coach is – a covered wagon that carries someone or something from where they are to where they want to go. And I think sometimes we lose track of that. Like our job is to make sure that we take these guys from where they are to where they want to go. And in the meantime, kind of dangle the carrot in front of them, their love for football and hopefully be able to teach them some things that are going to help them beyond this game. Um, You know, I I think that um, making sure that we're consistent, uh, we continue to maintain contact that we get through to, the other people in, in this prospect's life that are going to help them make the decision uh, and answer the questions for them. 
but it's but it's it's all built on relationships and uh, what can you do for me? You know, I, I think that there's things when they get here, right? What are the uniforms? What are the facilities? What can you do for me nutritionally? How am I going to develop? I think all those things are important to show them, but really they got to trust you that uh, that you have their best interest at heart and that you can help them get to the to where they want to go. Well, you know, everybody that's been in coaching for any length of time has, has had their favorite story. There's always some unique things that have happened in a, in a coaching career. Is there anything that sticks out, any funny uh, episode or situation that uh, you want to share with our group? We could do two and a half hours on just year one at Austin P. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. I, I've, I've been through a lot and, uh, and learned a lot, you know, and, and really learned how ignorant I was the year before, I think each and every year, I, you know, I've had some great ones. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, year one when we were at Austin P, you know, one of the biggest battles was, uh, was uh, getting to a, a third bus for travel. And, uh, you know, and because we'd had everybody on two buses and everybody shared a seat. So when we're going on long road trips, our first game was at Troy. And so it was about a seven hour bus ride. So getting the third bus was a big deal where those guys could spread out and, and have a better experience. And so I get on the bus, you know, first time I'm 30 years old, first time as a head coach, I'm sitting in the front. I've always wanted to sit in the front of the bus. And, uh, we get about 20 miles off campus and a tire blows on the third bus, and so all the guys are getting off on the side of the interstate. We're getting on, you know, so now we're stacked on two buses, kind of where we started. We drive the rest of the way to Troy. Uh, the bus driver finally gets there, fixes the tire, is extremely apologetic. It wasn't his fault. Um, and, you know, hey, everything's kind of, um, you know, kind of in control. Well, the other thing that was going on at this time was we were switching from Russell to Under Armour. And part of the deal with Russell was we couldn't buy anything from Under Armour until October. So we're about to start our first game against Troy, and these guys don't have anything to wear on the sideline. These coaches don't have anything to wear on the sideline. So literally, I got a shopping cart, and I'm at Dick Sporting Goods and Academy Sports, and I'm texting them, figuring out what shoe size and pants size they wear and trying to get these guys something to be able to wear on the sidelines, uh, you know, the, the night before my first game. So the next day, we, you know, we get ready to leave. Uh, I give it a, uh, you know, my, my win one for the Gipper speech at the hotel. We get on the bus. We got three buses. We're about 10 minutes off uh, from leaving from the hotel and a tire blows on the bus again. Right. So we <laughs> get there. We get there about, you know, an hour and 15 minutes for game time. So everything that you typically would like with with being there two hours, two hours and 15 minutes early, you weren't able to go through our, our pregame routine. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit of panic, you know, but I'm trying to keep everybody calm. Then the official walks into the locker room and he says, coach, can I get your captains? And I'm like, I haven't named captains. <laughs> totally forgotten to name captains. So I'm like, Hey, you and you, you run out there, y'all call heads and, and we'll roll with this thing. So, uh, we start the game. We go for it on, uh, on fourth and one from about our own 45 yard line last minute. You know, I tell our offense coordinator, about 20 seconds, I'm like, Wes, just just go for it. And meanwhile, guys are running off the field thinking we're going to punt it. And he's like, what? You know, and so he puts them back out there. We run power. They stuff us. First play, uh, they run inside zone for a 45-yard touchdown. And I get on the headset and I told our guys, hey, that's my fault. You know, I should have communicated better. And our defensive coordinator said, your fault. He said, shoot, I'm glad you went for it because – that was only 45 yards of total defense where it would have been a hundred. Cause we don't have anything in the picture, you know, 
We end up going up 14 to 13 on Troy, Neil Brown and Troy. We got the nation's longest losing streak. Uh, and I, I remember as a 30 year old walking up and down that sideline. And I, and I thought to myself, this is not that hard. You know, I'll probably be here for another year or two. And then I may take the Alabama job or the Georgia job, you know, <laughs> you already had your game plan. Profession, right. And, uh, we ended up getting beat 69 to 14. Uh, and I went over my first 13 as a head coach and I figured out it's really that hard. So, uh, a lot of learning experiences, but that that was uh, that was the start of my career as a head coach. That's a great story. I'll share one quick one you can share with your coaches. When I was coaching in Virginia, we were reviewing a game film Sunday morning, and our quarterback made a bad decision. And uh, unfortunately, the head coach happened to walk in while I was reviewing the, the film, and he looks up and he said, what is he doing? And I said, Coach, I said, I have told him and told him and told him, when they do this, we have to do this. And he got in my face in that bad breath area, and he says, I don't give a flip how many times you told him. It's obviously you didn't teach him. And I learned a big difference in telling and teaching. Uh, well, listen, it's, it's just been great having uh, you with us today. I've been really looking forward to this time together, and I know as a College head coach, your schedule never slows down. So I really appreciate you carving time out for us today. And I want to wish you uh, continued success in your coaching career. And I'm going to be following you closely as I have uh, since you began. And I hope to catch one of the 49ers games this year. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as we wrap up another episode of our Knowledge Cast series, I want to encourage you uh, for each of you to come back and join us next week. And until then, I hope that you will make the effort to be a positive influence in the lives of others. Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jack's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jack's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com slash the question to learn more and buy your copy today. Again, thanks for joining us for this episode and join us next week for an all new episode of KnowledgeCast by Ideals.